It's your Friday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back. Last show of the week. Good stuff coming up. Chris Hine covers the Wolves for the Star Tribune. Will join me here in just a few minutes talking Cats return, talking what this team needs to do down the stretch to get into the postseason. Eight games left, a lot of them really important. Um, Every one of them will be important in certain ways, but a lot of them having uh, the utmost importance because against teams, they are battling for playoff position in the West, including their next game Sunday against Golden State that in California. So Chris and I will break that all down. Um, really good story by Chris today, by the way, in the uh, Star Tribune and online about Carl Anthony Towns and kind of the road to his return and what that entailed. So go check that out if you get a chance. Um, have some Minnesota Wild thoughts at the end of the show. Got some uh, <clears throat> got some thoughts here on some NCAA tournaments. Let's start with uh, let's start with the Vikings just for a minute here because I thought it was an interesting and surprising move on uh, on Thursday. Maybe maybe. I didn't know kind of what to expect with with this, and I just made an assumption that the Vikings felt a certain way about Duke Shelley that I did. I thought Duke Shelley, cornerback for the Vikings, was a very good player last year. And I don't care that he kind of came out of obscurity. I don't care that he wasn't, you know, didn't have this pedigree. Um, he was a good player. He made some big plays for them last year. He made a big play against Buffalo that kept him in that Buffalo game, kind of got them to the finish line with it with you know, allowed them to intercept that last pass you know knocked a pass down he had the you know I think he was one of their most reliable cover corners if not their most reliable cover corner um, just kind of reading the stats on him um, last year allowed a 60.9 passer rating when targeted according to pro football focus that was the best on the team but he signs with the Raiders now the Vikings still have some corners under contract, Byron Murphy, Andrew Booth Jr., Caleb Evans, probably their top three at this point, and obviously they're still in the mix to add some in the draft and through free agency, but I thought Duke Shelley was a pretty easy, low-leverage move to make, a guy that played well for you last season, a guy that you know has got a decent amount of upside. He's only 26, probably didn't command a massive contract from the Raiders, although I don't see terms listed here anywhere. Surprised me that they let him walk. Surprised me that they didn't bring him back as someone they know. And again, you know, maybe maybe they saw something. They thought it was a, a small sample size that wasn't going to be replicated. I don't know what it was, but I was surprised the Vikings let Duke Shelley go. That uh, that that they let him get out of the building and go to the Raiders, go to Vegas. So you know, I'm just I'm I'm curious to see what they're doing at that spot. What what uh, what defensive coordinator Brian Flores has in mind here because. Again, they have they don't have a lot of depth at corner right now at all. Patrick Peterson left, Duke Shelley's gone. I mean, those are those are the two guys I trusted the most last year. Um, I, I like the addition of Byron Murphy, but he's had some injury problems. I think a Caleb Evans is interesting, but he had concussion problems last year. Same with Andrew Booth Jr. I mean, those guys are all injury prone at least in the past. So what's going to happen at that spot this season? Is this going to feel more and more like a rebuilding season as time goes on if we don't see more moves made, especially at some of these key spots like wide receiver, like corner? And I know it's still late March. They've got lots of time to add to the roster. They've got lots of time still, again, with the draft and free agency. But Duke Shelley was a surprise to me. I thought they would do more there to keep him in the building. Gopher men's hockey team got a little bit of a scare in the uh, first round of the NCAA tournament. They're the number one overall seed playing. 16th seeded Canisius, the uh, the fourth seed in the region, 16, the, the the last seed into the tournament overall. 
Gophers were down in this game 2-1 for a little while in the second period. They got a couple goals towards the end of the period to go into the third 3-2 and then poured it on in the third to win 9-2. So in the end, it didn't look like much of a nail-biter at all, but there was some tension building there. People, you know, looking at that, thinking, I think Randy Johnson even wrote it in his game story, thinking, is this another Holy Cross, you know, that huge upset when they lost to Holy Cross uh, back uh, you know, several years ago in the, in the first round of the tournament? Eerily similar circumstances, both of those being in North Dakota, this one in Fargo, the other one in Grand Forks. But they do prevail and prevail pretty easily, and that's what good teams do, right? Casey Hankinson on Thursday's show kind of talking about what teams need to do when there's pressure, and I'm sure they were feeling a little bit of pressure in that game, but if they they were able to not only withstand it, but but really turn this game into something where there was plenty of breathing room by the end, and that 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 level of comfort by the end that they didn't just you know sneak past four to three and have to really sweat at the end, that is the mark of a really good team. They did not you know once they got their footing, they did not mess around in this game, and uh, that was pretty important. So they advance. They play St. Cloud State in the region final, and that should be a heck of a game. Um, you know, two great Minnesota teams right now for the right to advance to the Frozen Four. So that will be one to watch this weekend. I'm looking forward to watching that one for sure. And uh, we'll see. We'll see if this number one overall seeded Gophers team can get back to the Frozen Four for the second consecutive year. NCAA men's basketball tournament. I have not spent much time on this tournament at all. I have not watched much of the tournament at all. I'm just not that into college basketball. I've told you guys that. And no, uh, no gripes if you are uh, more power to you. I just haven't spent too much time with that. But I just had to take note, the Big Ten's final team eliminated already. Michigan State going down to Kansas State. Great, epic game. Um, again, I didn't watch a minute of it. I'm told it was great. I hope you guys watched it because it sounds like it was really good. Just not into the tournament right now. But I am into, whenever I pick a bracket, I'm always into not picking Big Ten teams. That's the one thing you should know to do. Don't pick a Big Ten team in the men's basketball tournament because the conference is mediocre. Makes the Gophers 2-17 and record in this conference even worse right now to look at that and say, this te- this conference did not have an elite team, did not have a great team. They had a number one seed, Purdue. They lost right away. So just to just a note, just a note, um, this, this conference has got a lot of work to do. And again, falling is a great game. I get it. They could have gone either way. Michigan State could have got to the Elite Eight, but they didn't. No Big Ten teams in the Elite Eight. Certainly no Big Ten teams going to be in the Final Four, given that fact. Just another year that the conference underachieved. And I don't even know if we can call it underachieving anymore. They're just not that good. They're just not that good. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, Chris Hine and I just talked for like 10 minutes about all the good stuff. Now we're going to start the segment. Now we're going to bring a lot of that to you as well. Chris, of course, covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. Tons to get into with this team right now, Chris. Eight games left in the regular season. A huge um, game on Wednesday. Saw the return of Carl Anthony Towns. He makes the game-winning free throws with three seconds left to give them that 125-124 win over Atlanta. Very important win. I would say in the context of their season, they're now 37 and 37. Um, the West is still just jam packed. Like every, every night there seems to be a different kind of 
shift in the standings. But you know, right now, feeling like they're in in decent shape. I want to get into some bigger picture stuff in a minute. But tell me a little bit more about Cat's return, the lead up to it, and what it was like on Wednesday night. You know, for I think the last week we had been hearing that he was close, very close. Uh, I think Chris Finch said very, very close at one point. So it was all circling. To, to to Wednesday night. And I think the big question that everybody had was just what was this going to look like? Was he going to play a full complement of minutes? Who was he going to play with? And it was actually quite different uh, from what we saw earlier in the season. Uh, we saw basically the Wolves played with two bigs on the floor, whether it was Towns, Gobert, Reed. You know, two of those three seemed to be on the floor at all times, pretty much uh, last night. And that was different than what they had earlier in the season, which was Townsend Gobert would play with each other and Nas Reed would be kind of off to the side um, and maybe not even playing that particular night. So very different in terms of lineups. Cat looked, I thought, better than I think I expected him to look. Yeah, I agree. Um, He came out, hit two threes early on. Um, they seemed to kind of break up his shifts a little bit. He didn't really play too many long shifts. So you, you definitely saw a concerted effort there to maybe limit the amount of run he gets at one time, you know, cause there, there are times where he'll play like a whole quarter typically in, in the span of a game. I, I think it's usually the, I want to say the whole, maybe it's the whole first quarter, the whole second quarter, one of one of those, but he wasn't doing that last night. So they're breaking up his shifts. He played a few, uh, fewer minutes than he normally plays. Like he was in the high 20s at the end of the night. He usually plays mid-30s, so a little bit lower minute count than he's accustomed to seeing. But when the game was on the line, they give him the ball and in his first game back, and, and that tells you basically all you need to know about where they think he is right now, which is it's pretty much back to full throttle for him. Um, the, the acclimation process or ramp up or whatever. Nope. Last night was (laughs) get out there and you got the ball in your hands with seven seconds left and we're down one. Um, so he, in my mind, he looked, he looked pretty good. Um, and and I think, I think the defense is going to be a work in progress. I think we saw that last night. Uh, he admitted as much as well that he's got to get reaccustomed to how they're playing defensively. Sure. Um, now, is there enough time to master that? That I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, it seems like that's the gamble they're making right now because Finch said after Wednesday's game, essentially, like this, the the two big lineup is something they're going to have. They want to do in large part the rest of the season. That they're getting too many good offensive looks in, in that kind of setup not to do that. But of course, the you know the 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 consequence of that sometimes we saw it against the Knicks. I mean, Julius Randle had 57 points, and the, and the Wolves still won that game and you know the hawks put up 124 the other night the wolves just happened to have one more i mean the consequence sometimes is guys are going to make threes on you you're just not going to have the lineup that can scramble and get to shooters or get into you know get into driving lanes and things like that but it seems like that's the gamble they're willing to take right now is that they're going to have enough offense to counter any uh, any lapses in defense right i think so and you know, I, like I said, as Carl gets reaccustomed to to what they're doing schematically, I don't know how long that process is going to take. Um, you know, playing with new teammates like Mike Conley as well. That was his first game playing with Mike Conley yeah. last night. Um, you know, they still I think they still have the capability to be a decent defensive team. I don't I don't think you 
are necessarily just saying we're going to be a bad defensive team now. I don't think that's the case. They still have some very talented defensive players out there in uh, Jaden McDaniels and Rudy and then Ant when he comes back in terms of his on-ball defense. Um, And I think you saw some of that in the fourth quarter last night, that unit that was out there um, to get them back in the game when they were down 11. Carl wasn't out there for that one, but it was – Rudy and Nas were on the floor together during that time, uh, along with Torian Prince, uh, Jaden, and I believe Kyle Anderson yeah. was that was that five man lineup, and they got they got enough stops to get to erase an eleven point lead and turn or eleven point deficit turn into a five point lead or six point lead or uh, you know so that was they could still play great defense and very good defense and spurts. Um, it's all about just. Knowing what, first of all, knowing what coverage they're in because they're going to be toggling back and forth a little bit, depending on whether Rudy is out there or not, and just you know having that muscle memory and those instincts to not really have to think about where you need to be or what you need to do, and I think that's going to be what Carl's got to fight through at least in the first couple of games here. Now I'll be interested to see how this looks on, against Golden State on Sunday. Right. Because when Golden State played them uh, and Rudy and Carl were in the lineup, Golden State ran them off the floor right. that particular day. So Sunday's game is going to be a big test for them defensively. And uh, we'll see just how how much work needs to be done. I feel like Golden State will lay that bare on Sunday. Well, and that's the, that's kind of been the question all year, even when Cat was out and, you know, even in the beginning of the year it was, you know, with Rudy on the floor, you you do have some some challenges when a team goes small, and I think I think Sacramento stresses them in a certain way. Um, and we'll find that out in that game right after the Golden State game. Phoenix will probably stress them in a certain way. I mean, it's kind of weird. They've got these three off days, then they've got four games in a six day span, including some back to backs, back to back, and you know that that three game road trip. Before I get to that and some of the particulars of that. Ant warmed up a little bit before before uh, Wednesday's game. Um, he's probably lobbying to to play at some point because he's he's always going to say he wants to play. Where, where do you, what, what's your sense on his timetable at this point? Yeah, hard to put a definitive day on it, but it certainly seems to be tracking in the right direction. You know, Monday he wasn't in warm up gear when I when I saw him in the locker room in New York, but yesterday he was and he was going through some on court workouts. So. Uh, that seemed to be a step in the right direction, where as he wasn't really working out much uh, prior to Wednesday. So I think progressing in the right direction. We'll see if he's playing at all on this road trip coming up. You know, I, I don't. I'm not sure if they know for sure, but we'll see after three days off here if if that ankle gets gets much better in that in that time frame. Um, but certainly compared to where it was a week ago when he was writhing in pain on the floor in Chicago. Um, it certainly looks a lot better than than it did in that moment. In terms of the standings, let's go micro first and then macro. I mean, this Golden State game feels awfully big. You win this game, you've got a chance to have the tiebreaker over Golden State. You lose this game, Golden State's got the season series tiebreaker, so that's said and done. They're they're one game behind Golden State right now, I believe, in the standings. So you're kind of looking up at them right now. I'm sure Golden State might play somewhere in there. Golden State, really good home team, 29 and 7 at home compared to 9 and 29 on the road. So a big, a big task at hand to try to win a game in Golden State. But it does feel like that one, if you win that one, I like your chances a lot better of 
even competing for top six. If you don't win that one, it's not like all hope is lost, but it does feel like this one has a swing potential to it. In fact, I believe the importance value on the 538 site is 94. It's got a 94 importance score, which you don't see very often. I am not familiar with the importance score. Can you can you give me a quick rundown of that? I think it's basically like on a scale of 100. Like, what does this game yeah. mean in the context of the standings in terms of who wins? How much will this influence them? I, mean, I think the Clippers-Pelicans game in a couple of days is like a 99 because it's oh, got wow. a big swing potential. But, you know, a lot of these West games, when it's opponents that are head-to-head in the standings, will have those high values. And this one's one that definitely has a high value. Okay. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, you win this and you're probably in the sixth seed after it. Um, this this road trip, I mean, Golden State, Sacramento, and Phoenix, you know, three teams that they are looking up at in the standings this year. And if this Wolves team has shown anything this year, it's that they tend to lose when you expect them to win, and sometimes they win when you expect them to lose. Yeah. So maybe, maybe these three matchups – play into their hands a little bit um, for them to surprise. They went out West a um, couple weeks back and, and had a really good road trip, including a win over Sacramento on the tail end of a back-to-back, right? much like they're going to have to do again on Monday. Um, Phoenix, we'll see uh, kind of what they look like at that point. You know, what's going on with Kevin Durant, um, is you know does Josh Okogie cool down from the massive heater that he's been <laughs> <laughs> that he's been on over the last month or however long that is Josh Okogie um, revenge game baby right right um, so we'll see uh, winnable games on this road trip but two and one is not out of the realm of possibility but neither is zero and three yeah and you know it's it's just the way of life for this team um, I have no idea what to expect no we don't and that's that makes this question a little tougher but it, we were talking before. The segment started and it reminded me I got an email from uh, Shane Albrecht last week wanting he said I had an idea for daily delivery give your estimated number of games for the Wolves and or Wild to make the playoffs at that point the Wolves had like 12 games left I think so they have eight games left now how we're just going to do the Wolves I'm not going to ask you about the Wild I can ask uh, Sarah McClellan about that another time but how many games do you think they need to win to feel good about you know play in versus at least that seven, eight play in versus top six and things like that. Man, it's so jumbled right now that it's hard to, hard to say for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, I think if you, if you get to 41 and 41, that feels like you're in the play in to me. Yeah, I think so. That seems I, right. I think so. And that, and that would require them going four and four over the last eight here, which Again, I don't think is out of the realm of possibility. No. Um, there's some there's some games in there they should win. Um, I think to get out of the play-in, you got to at least get to above 500. Yeah, that um, seems right. And, may, and maybe to 43, which would be six and two. That's a pretty yeah. That's a pretty hot finish, but not not out of the realm of possibility. It does depend it's on what not. you do on this road trip. It's but... not right. This road trip sets the tone for that, obviously. Yeah. So. Yeah, I th- I think I think right now, if you're a Wolves fan, obviously you'd love to get the six seed, but I think the the bigger priority, or not the bigger priority, but the the priority you should really be circling is at least to get in that seven eight game, and you give yourself two cracks at the yeah. at the play in, um, because each play in slot is not created equal, um, so. 
even if you miss out on the six seed, getting in that seven, eight game is essential. Um, and being the seven seed and having that at home also very important. So missing out on the six seed is not a total disappointment. If you can reclaim it by getting that seven seed, or at least getting into the eight seed and having two shots at, at winning a playing game. I think, I think where it becomes a little more tenuous and everybody starts getting on eggshells is if they fall to nine or 10 and that's it, you've got one shot to save your season and right. then you got to go and do it again. Yep. Uh, after that, if you win that game. So, so in my mind, you got to avoid the nine seed. Um, nine or 10. I, yeah. I just, I just think there's going to be in that scenario. I just think there's so much pressure. There'd be so much pressure on this team um, in that one game scenario that I, I feel like I'm not sure how they would respond in that, in that moment. I think that seems right. I feel like, I feel like five and three, puts them in a pretty good spot if they can win five of these last eight and again that's a, that's not easy because you get three quality opponents on the road right now we don't know what's going to happen there last five though you've got home against the lakers uh next friday and that's you know i don't know if lebron's going to be back by then or not i think we're going to get an update on him at some point here but doesn't feel like he would necessarily be back by then uh just based on kind of where that's trending but maybe um, and then after that, home against Portland, and Portland might be kind of out of it by that point. At Brooklyn is going to be tough, but then at San Antonio, a team that's you know way at the bottom of the standings, then the back-to-back to finish the year, home against New Orleans, which which could have huge implications because they're right there in the standings too. So you know it does feel like if they can get through this three-game road trip in okay shape, they could get to forty-one or forty-two pretty reasonably. And forty-two does feel like at minimum you're going to be in the top eight. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I can't see a forty two and forty team being the nine or ten seed. I think I no, think that, not with all the tiebreakers they hold. Yeah, for not, sure. I I agree there. So five hundred or above, I think gets them at eight or above. Um, I would if I had to handicap it. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting though because it is so bunched up right now, and things are subject to change. But like, it's the I mean, just but, looking at it right but here's now. The, here's the and here's the thing, Mike. Like they're they're up a half game on you know Dallas Lakers, up a game on the Jazz. Um, but like for instance, they're all tied in the loss column right now. Yeah, the Wolves have I know just it. played more games, so it's good that the Wolves have those tiebreakers over those teams. But Oklahoma City, for instance, is one game ahead of them in the loss column right now. So Oklahoma city could pass them by just winning their games. Right. Um, so God, there's just, there's just, it's, it's so hard to figure this out. Um, and you're watching the the games every night. And when two of those teams play each other, it's always like, well, which one of these is better for the wolves if they were to win, <laughs> if right. they were to right. win in this scenario, like, like tonight, for instance, or we're recording this on, on Thursday afternoon, like the Lakers or I'm sorry, the Clippers play the thunder tonight. Yep. And you're like, well, which, if you're a Wolves fan, which team do you want to have win that game? Do you want the Clippers to fall back? So maybe you have a greater chance at the at, at a top a, six, yeah. At a top six seed, or do you want the Thunder to win because it gives you a little room in that seven to eight range? Right. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is to that question. No, and it's it's all right there. And the Clippers again have, you know, lost by Paul George is injured right now. So that open that creates an opening to catch mm-hmm. them, you know, as of recording they're just you know game or two back of the clippers and could certainly get there they don't have any more games left but they have that tiebreaker you know the right now as we record the four through 12 are separated by only three games it's amazing and you know and i will say this like i 
looking at the top of the West, like the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, and the Kings have definitely separated themselves. You know, the Nuggets by, by far, you know, gonna gonna win the West, you would imagine, unless there's some kind of collapse because the Grizzlies, you know, just don't have enough time to to make that up. And the Kings, you know, pretty close to the Grizzlies and easily in third. But Chris, like in the playoffs, is there anybody in the West that truly scares you? I mean, I think the three best teams in the NBA are in the East this year. Yeah, I, I feel like if you get into a playoff series with any of those top three teams, nobody's going to be scared, I feel like, of what they're facing in the first round. No, I mean, Denver's very good. The Grizzlies we've seen have been very good, but I don't, you know, I don't think you'd be scared of any of those matchups, right? I don't think I don't think you would. I, I would not obviously want to see Denver. I don't, I just don't want to run into Jokic in a playoff right. series if I'm if I'm one of these teams, but Memphis I feel like can be beaten. And the Kings can be beaten. So, yes. you know, I think, you know, if the Kings end up as a three seed, I think getting the six seed is really paramount if you want to try to actually, you know, increase your chances of winning a playoff series. The Grizzlies at least have some playoff experience now under their belts. Um, you know, we'll see how kind of jaw comes back into into the mix there for them and, and what that looks like down the stretch here. Um, but yeah, but if you if you get in a six three series with the Kings you know, you're going to be able to score on them. We know that. Yeah. Uh, it'll be a probably a fun, entertaining up and down series. Um, but it's a winnable series. It's not a, it's not a, you look at that matchup and you're, you're not really that frightened of it. Or it's, I don't think chalk automatically goes through in the Western Conference playoffs the way it might in the East. No, and that's the wild thing. Like, I think you look at the Wolves and you think they can finish anywhere from completely out of the top 10 and not even in the play into, you know, having a legitimate chance to win a first round series. Like, I don't think that's out of the question at this point, especially just when you look at the West. Although, Chris, I do have to imagine a couple more things. I do have to imagine that they look at some of those games they lost to the worst teams in the league and wish they could have a couple of those back right now. Yeah, yeah, just half of them, you know. Yeah. Beat Charlotte once, beat Detroit once. Yeah. Don't, don't lose to Houston, you know. Uh, like, that's three games right there where if you just win those and you could still lose the others, you'd still be in a much better position than you are right now. So if they end up missing the, the playoffs or they get in the play in and don't make the playoffs, that is the number one bullet point on their season is that that series of like what, however many games it was eight, nine, 10 games against those bottom rung teams of the league where they lose I want to say that so they lost to Detroit twice, Charlotte twice, Houston once, the Spurs twice. Yeah. So right there, that's seven games against four of the worst teams in the league that they've lost. So, you know, that that's that is the story of their season if they don't make the playoffs. It really is, because no other team in the league, the other than those four you just mentioned, has every other team has at least 30 wins. Like those are the clearly the four worst teams. In, in the league and you know some of his circumstance sometimes a team just plays well but i think that does show kind of this the odd nature of this team like you said they will win the games that you don't expect them to and they'll they'll lose the games that, that you that you expect them to win and that's kind of been the story of the season like I, I think i said this before we started recording like as soon as i think that they're done they come back and win a couple games like they did against the knicks they night like no cat no ant Torian Prince has like the most efficient night in NBA history and then they win, right? And so it's it's like you just don't know what to expect with this team. It's it's been fun, but it's also been pretty uh, pretty dicey for anybody who's following and especially for you covering this team. 
100%. That that Knicks game, I, I just remember thinking like it's one of the crazier regular season games that I've that I've covered in five years on the beat. Like I don't I don't think I've ever seen a guy go for 57 and his team loses. Um and Torian Prince goes, what was it, 12 for 13? Yeah, eight, eight for eight, eight from yeah. three point range. Like that's insanity. <laughs> that yeah. game was that game was bonkers. It really was. Uh I don't I don't think I don't think we truly appreciate how crazy that, that Knicks game was because it was in the moment in the guard, it was very exciting. It was yeah, well the, the Knicks have been like red hot. The Knicks have been like one of the yeah, hottest teams was, in the league. That was a hell of a that was a hell of a win, all things considered. No ant, no cat that game. And you it's like you need somebody like, like you always think about that. It's like you need somebody to really step up in a game like that where you're like, no cat, no ant man. It would be great if somebody just went off tonight. Right. Right. And Torian Prince went off that particular night. Like they, if you could, if you could have pinpointed one game for Torian Prince to have the game of his life, yeah, that would have been it. Right. It, yeah. Not on a, not on a random game where they beat somebody by 25, but no on the road against a good team, where you absolutely needed to have him go 12 for 13 and hit all eight of his threes or else you don't win that game. That's just, it's just bonkers too, because, you know, just even our, our conversation today hinged so much on the final seven seconds of what happened Wednesday. If they lose that game, let's say they overturn it and say, you know, that's an offensive foul on cat or say the possession before, um, you know, Atlanta makes that three and goes up four. Like that game's kind of over at that moment instead of also, also, officials said right. that they missed a foul on Sadiq Bay's putback attempt, which was that's garbage. Uh, I don't believe that was a, that would have been a, <laughs> that would have been an awful call if they'd have made that call. But yeah, they, they can say that. Hey, if, if the Wolves are going to benefit from something at the end, that'll be the first time all year they did so. But yes, you're right. That was another moment where it could have turned it. And I'm just saying, like, if they're two games under 500 right now, 36 and 38, instead of at 500 with two wins in a row, like the co- the tone of this team totally changes just because of seven seconds of a game that that's the West right now. Yeah. We, we'd be talking more about how bad they look defensively and, and yeah, it was a problem and it's gotta be something that they fix uh, coming up in practice here, or at least try to fix as best as they can in practice here. Um, I do think um, under the radar here, we, we've talked a lot about them missing ant missing cat I think you've you've also seen Mike Conley become more and more comfortable yes. um, in in what he's been doing um, and what they want him to do. He's he's become more more comfortable being more aggressive and looking for his shot. Maybe this diminishes now if once Ant gets back and Cat is in the fold. Um, but I think you know early on he was trying to find his way, find his footing, you know, in those first couple of games. But I I really feel like Mike Conley's been a a good addition for this for this group and uh i i think as somebody who watched d'angelo russell play defense for a while and now watches mike conley play defense uh on a nightly basis uh the difference couldn't be more stark in terms of effort and execution i agree conley will even go in and get a rebound from time to time i kind of like watching uh, that from a point guard on occasion Mm -hmm. as well um that's a good point on conley because i think he has improved within this system i think he i think i don't even i can't remember if it was finch or who said it the other day but gobert seems to have kind of a pep in his step playing with conley i mean there's a familiarity there familiarity there he just he seems more comfortable with conley running this offense than he did with with russell i don't think there's any any doubt about that and you saw like rudy was having some of his best offensive nights of the season before cat got back right cat cat's return changes the whole dynamic of everything that was going on before 
Um, I don't think it necessarily changes it for the worse on offense because they were a bottom kind of a bottom 10 offensive team right without him. So I, I, I always kind of dismiss the notion that this team would be better off without cap because it wasn't like they were exactly lighting the league on fire without him. Right. They were a 500 right. team, right? Yeah. That's, that's fine, but they could be better. And so I think, especially on the offensive end, Cat raises the the ceiling of what this team can do. And you saw it last night. Offensively, there seemed to be very uh, there. There were some some clunky moments where you know the ball maybe slowed down a little bit. But offensively, I thought they looked just fine last night. I really yep. did. I did too. Well, we'll see what they can do on this road trip. I'm sure we will talk again in a week or two as this kind of this thing gets down to the wire and perhaps into the postseason. Chris, good to talk to you as always. Take care. Have a good road trip, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Sounds good. Good stuff as usual from Chris Hine. Hope you read that story on Carl Anthony Towns. Like I mentioned, just a good kind of look at what evolved over the last four months, kind of how that, how that process played out and how that's not terribly uncommon for an NBA star player and just the control of information, which way it flows, and, you know, ultimately, whether that just kind of gets forgotten now is a good question. He's back. He contributed mightily to that win that they needed over Atlanta the other day. And they will need him down the stretch here as they play a lot of those big lineups, as they play a lot of these important games in the final eight to try to get it at least into a good play-in spot. And perhaps still to get into the playoffs, to get into the top six right away and not have to mess around with that. Let's finish with the cooler. I mentioned a little bit ago with Chris that uh, Shane Albrecht had asked about what the uh, what the Wild and the Wolves need to do to get into the playoffs. So we went through the Wolves kind of tick-tock game by game. Um, the Wild is a little bit less tenuous at this point uh, since, since Shane's email. The Wild's almost certainly going to get into the playoffs according to uh, Pro Hockey Reference. Um, hockey Reference, they're a 99.4% chance of getting into the playoffs. So instead... I will give my take on what it's going to take for them to win the division. And they're right there with Dallas and Colorado, both of them an excellent chance to win the division still. I think it's going to take 15 points in these last 10 games. And that's what the, that was the disappointment with Thursday's result. Playing, playing Philadelphia, not a good team at all. Playing a team that they probably should have gotten two points against. And, you know, that's going to happen. You're not always going to, you're not always going to play as, as well as you want. But Philadelphia... You know, one of the worst teams in the league right now. They only have 66 points. You know, one of the one of the lowest point totals in the whole NHL. One of the bottom, you know, bottom five or six teams in the NHL. They get a point in the shootout, but still not able to get those two points, so they fall a little bit back. But I would say 15 points in these last 10, which is pretty, which is pretty daunting. Let's say, you know, that means you've got to go, you know, six wins and three overtime shootout losses, or seven wins two losses, and an overtime shootout loss. Something like that. 15 points, I think, gets you to the finish line with a division title. 15 points in 10 games is, is a hotter hotter pace than, they, uh, than they've been on over the course of the season, but kind of similar to what they've been on in this, this heater they've been on over the last month or so. So if they can get 15, I think they get there, but we'll see if they're able to do that. So that's my answer to that question. Almost certainly going to make the playoffs. Almost certainly going to be a top three team in the Central Division. You know, getting at least a top two finish in the division is important, of course, If even if they come short of winning the division because the top two at least get a, a first-round playoff game. Uh, I'm sorry, first-round home playoff series. So we'll see what they're able to do. I think 15 is the magic number in terms of points the rest of the way. 
schedule sets up that I think it's possible, but they're going to have to keep playing well. Going to have to avoid the kind of lapses. Dean Evanson did not love their game last night, so going to have to tighten up a little bit. I think they got a little loose lately, as they like to say in hockey, got a little loose, and we'll see if they're able to tighten it up in these final 10 games. That'll do it for me. Good uh, good stuff coming up next week. It's March. Everything else is happening right now. Twin season coming up. I'm sure there'll be some Vikings news, NCAA hockey, NCAA basketball, everything going on right now. So we will bring that all to you next week. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and the weekend. Be back at it again with Royce on Monday. <laughs>